Hello and welcome to JBL Radio. I am your co-host, Michael Miller, otherwise known as RKG, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And with me, as always, is Andrew Taylor, General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets, otherwise known as Bedouin. Good evening, Andrew. And good morning, Mike. So Andrew's going to be carrying us today because I'm going on about mm, four hours of sleep. So uh, the NFL draft went a little bit later than I would have expected last night because I'm a nut person and there's nothing else to really watch or care about on TV. So, uh, but we've got a pretty much a grab bag episode today. We're going to round out uh, two of the last four teams that have been eliminated in the JBL, uh, the JBL this year. And we have some alternative wards. We're going to review our over-under bets. So uh, a little bit of a grab bag might be a little bit shorter, but uh, we'll be coming at you likely twice next week with a mock draft plus uh, probably some trade of Palooza review. And our draft is going to be actually just about a week away. So I'll turn it over to Andrew, who will basically be taking us through. I'll chime in with a snide comment or a penis joke as warranted, and we'll go from there. So take it away, Andrew. Okie dokie. So we're going to start off uh, with the team review uh, of the Detroit Mustangs and the Seattle Thunder, our conference final losers this season. Uh, they would be in order the, uh, the second and second and third, sorry, no, the second and third losers as uh, in using six parlance. Um, uh, we'll go into a finals, quick finals uh, kind of preview after that. I know we're a day late. Um, unfortunately, neither of the uh, Thunder or Mustangs could push it to uh, seven to really make the timing sing. Um, over under review and then some alternative awards. So we'll kick off with the Detroit Mustangs team review. What went right? Uh, the team surprised the league by finishing top of the Eastern Conference with a 61 win season, which got uh, its coach Jeffrey King uh, the Coach of the Year award. Unlike last, season, uh, last year's teams that was horrifically imbalanced in favor of offense, uh, this year's Mustangs lineup was a much better balanced team. Uh, they finished seventh in offense and fifth in defense. Uh, whilst this was a little bit of a drop offensively, I think they dropped from fifth last year. It represented a massive jump of, uh, defensively because last year they finished 18th. Um, the team also largely avoided their notorious mid-season slump. I still think they had a slight one, but it was definitely less elongated as some of them than, than it has been in the last couple of years. Um, J-Rob and Hicks both sacrificed usage this season, but both were considerably more, more efficient as a result. And on the flip side of that, Honeycutt and Walton took on the extra usage and held relatively close to the mark from last year, despite the extra usage. Uh, Nate Duncan took on a slightly smaller role in the rotation, but saw his usage and efficiency hit career highs, uh, which means he might be quite an attractive uh, free agent for some people. Um, same could also be said for JT Barrett, who played a nice band, played well in a bench role, but the team's probably most pleased with Mike Morton, who had a fantastic rookie year as a first, a late first-round pick centre. What went wrong? Uh, honestly, not that much. Offense slid a little bit, as I said, but this was more than made up for by the defensive improvement. J-Rob scored less, but took on a role that was probably more aligned to long-term team success. <clears throat> I'm not sure this team is at its best if he's going psycho and taking 20-plus shots a game and scoring 30-plus. Um, the biggest issue for the team remained point guard. Um, Bender, uh, who was a rookie last year, overtook Rifkin in the rotation, but he didn't really improve that much on his performance last year, basically holding down the same kind of stats, um, counting and advanced, as he did last season. 
Meanwhile, Rifkin, in the same uh, in, when he was flipped into a reserve role, wasn't able to match the same level of offensive efficiency he had last year. Probably because it's hard to rack up assists when you're passing to lesser players, and that just meant, given he's so offensively orientated and he's crappy on defense, his overall impact slipped quite dramatically. The team didn't really have anything. Didn't really have anything go wrong. It just wasn't quite enough. Um, and what should I do? Think they should do this off season. I think they should probably try and re-sign Nate Duncan if it's affordable to do so. Um, apart from that, all the other starters are under contract, um, but they're at ninety-five million for seven players before Duncan. And that, but that's assuming that Honeycutt takes his player option for twenty-eight million, which I suspect he probably will do. Um, after that, um, the bench mob. Of the bench mob that are all out of contract, they'd probably like to keep Barrett. But beyond that, the team is probably going to have to round itself out with min sales. Um, and even then, it's going to be very close to the hard cap line. However, on the bright side, draft, draft asset-wise, the team's in good shape with all of its firsts after this draft. And, and it also has the Warriors 2030 pick as well, which will be the last... Yeah, basically, that's, so they'll be hoping Banks uh, slides a little bit in the last year of his contract. Um, and if they can hold out a year, uh, they're going to see their cap re number reduced considerably with Honeycutt coming off the books. Uh, and they've got a few first. They could rebuild. The, they could then rebuild the team around Hicks and Messiah. Um, alternatively, uh, they could just blow it up now. Any thoughts, Mike? Yeah. So, and obviously that's the big rumor. I, I think to argue both sides of what the Mustangs can and should do, so, I mean, number one, they won 61 games in the tougher conference, had home court. Um, there's evidence, really, based you look at all the Final Four teams, of how good you can be if you just keep everything together and kind of run it back. Um, there isn't any clear flaw. I don't know if Robinson has another gear in him. That's basically a, another question at this point. But nevertheless, you won 60 games. Maybe you just got a little bit unlucky against Toronto. Those are kind of the arguments to run it back. I guess the arguments to blow it up is that really nothing could have worked out any better for you for this playoff run. Um, you had the Kings who had a little bit of a post-playoff malaise, and then Hawes got injured, which kind of took them out of the picture. The Warriors still had things that they were trying to work out. And uh, they did have to play the Huskies, but the Mustangs had home court. And still wasn't enough to really get them over the hump over Houston and Q based on their current lineup construction. So, I mean, when I look at this team, and I think I've said this before, looking at Robinson, Robinson is a dynamic pick-and-roll player as a role man. I mean, that's really where he gets a lot of his opportunities, a lot of his points. I think the flaw with this roster construction, if I were to basically – maybe not incinerate it, but, uh, you know, try to revamp it, is I really do think that the kind of group that should be built around Robinson, based on how he plays, is to really try to get a stellar point guard in any way you can and kind of surround Robinson and point guard with basically uh, two shooters and maybe a, a, just a low-usage defender at the five or something like that. I think if you do that, you could really – and then invest the rest of your money in your bench – so that when Robinson sits, you have playmakers and creative scorers to basically take up some of that, that difference. I think that's really where this team kind of went wrong a little bit. Um, I th I, I, when they had traded for Honeycutt, I was a little bit dubious of that move. Not that I think Honeycutt is a bad player, although he did make the comment at one point, is he the worst max salary contract in the league? 
I think the issue is that he was a little bit duplicative of Hicks. And uh, I, I don't know whether Hicks is going to be on the roster next year. He kind of disappeared for the playoffs again. again. I still think Hicks is a, a pretty good player. Uh, and I think he actually fits what I had been suggesting as get a really good point guard and Hicks could be that off-ball shooter, defender. So I don't know if I'd throw the baby out of the bathwater with that. I mean, if, if it were me, what I would be kind of praying to the God of Rand for is that Honeycutt and um, Walton decline their player options and kind of open up that cap room and kind of give me a little bit more flexibility. I don't think this team needs a blow up. I, I honestly think any talk about trading Josiah is somewhat silly. Um, he's, he, he's still, I don't know if he's at peak. He may still have another level, but he is on pace to be one of the top three players in the league. Like, he's right now, in my mind, probably behind Weaver and Q, but not that far away from those two players. And uh, I just don't think there's really any, unless you're getting one of those two players, I don't know if there's any other player you can get to really maximize what Robinson brings to your roster as a team. So, I mean, if it were me and I were Detroit, I would not, uh, I think a blow up is silly to kind of detonate you know, detonate the roster by trading Robinson. It, depending on what you get back for Hicks or if you can move Walton or Honeycutt, I'd be okay with it. But when I look at this team, what I'd really try to do is just get a, a stellar point guard in any way I can, a stellar creator, distributor to take some of the pressure off Josiah, take some of the usage off of him, but also really maximize his output and surround those two with shooters and, and a really good defensive five. What do you think about that? I think that's fairly fair. I think if you look at their roster construction, like Honeycutt's overpaid, but he actually produces well on court. Like no one's doubting his production. It's just the salary number is rather obscene. But Honeycutt, it seems like Honeycutt's always on good teams. Like he hasn't really been, apart from, you know, I don't know, pretty much he's always been on good teams since the Knights. Like every team he's been on has been reasonably pushing into the playoffs, deep into the playoffs. Um, I think the issue is, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that where this team needs to save money is not at point guard. It needs to be saving it at center. So the one that really is unnecessary is the one that feels slightly indulgent is the money that they spend on Walton. And if that money was invested at point guard, I think you could have a really good uh, distributor and creator at point guard. And I think that would probably be better for the team. But I think the, the talk of trading Messiah is 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 lunacy to me. Um, I'm not convinced he has another year, but at the age he's at, he's probably going to stay at this level for at least another five years. Yeah, and, and you, I think you need a player like Josiah to to compete for a championship. So um, you need to yeah, basically I, get like two top ten guys or a top like five or six guy to be in the right to to be in the game seriously, and it's. Right now, this team has that. Um, and as I said, if they can get off, if they can get off Walton's contract and get Honey off the books, you know that puts them in a situation where they're that's you know that's a clean forty odd million, and then they can you know potentially build back up around those two, and they'll have some first rounders and stuff. I I I think that's probably a better path, you know, if it if it means you run it all back this year and then see how you go and then get Walton gone, then see what happens next season. Yeah, we, I, we I think, think that's probably. Have... Yeah, 
I, I think that's the safest approach is probably to, to run it back this year, uh, presuming Honey and um, Walton opted to their contracts, which is likely going to happen. Run it back this year, uh, kind of see maybe another year of cohesion, maybe you get lucky again. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I, I mean, it's still at that point, if you do want to blow it up, you'll, you'll still have that option. It's not like Robinson's going to go anywhere, you know. Um, he's not going to lose value. Yeah, and, and also I'm not convinced that right now, I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit with the Weaver trade, but when you trade one of these guys, the only reason you do it is if you want to basically start from scratch again, in which case you want a shit ton of picks. And I don't think right now there is anyone out there that has the kind of war chest that warrants, that is a sufficient payment. Yep. And maybe in a year's time, someone does. Maybe in a year's time, some other team that's pretty decent blows it up a little bit, and then they're stacked up with stacked to the gills with picks, and then you have a a proper suitor. But right now, I don't see a suitor uh, for Masai. Yeah, and I I think I've said this in the past, and in, in my mind, if you have a player like Robinson, the only way you trade a player like Robinson is if you get a guaranteed number one, number two pick that you can take someone that arguably at least has the same kind of upside as Robinson. So who's who's just cheaper and that you could kind of start over your build again, unless you're going to get that in a trade. It's not, you know, and, and, and not, we'll talk about the Weaver trade. I'm sure again, at some point in this podcast, but you know, it, it, that was kind of the issue even with Kyle trading Weaver is that, I mean, he was lucky that his own pick jumped up, up to a top three this year, but that was a very risky maneuver. I think with Robinson, the only way I even consider in the wildest dreams making a deal, and I don't even know if it's from this draft class. I'm even talking about maybe if there's some potential generational guy or like a winder or something like that next season, if the general manager that wins that that number one overall pick comes to me and says that pick for Robinson, and I have another year, I have another uh, a playoff flame out before the JBL finals, that's kind of the scenario I would think about trading Robinson. But short of that, I don't think you do it. Yep. I think that's accurate. So shall we move on to the Seattle Thunder? Let's. Okay. What went right? The team improved by nine wins in the regular season and went down in six games in the conference finals, which was a significant improvement on their seven game loss in the first round last year. Um, as predicted by many, uh, the Thunder are indeed coming. Um, the team slid slightly defensively this year, going from fifth to seventh, um, but improved considerably on the offensive side of the ball. They finished fifth, which was, which was up from 14th last year. Most impressively, um, this improvement was primarily driven by the kids. Um, Roland and Pfeiffer both had career years in O-rating, um, but on small gains on their previous highs. The majority of the game was driven by the leaps made by Walcott, Lawson, and Butler. And it's very arguable, looking at the numbers, that both Butler and Lawson still have a lot of room to grow on that side. Um, and Butler, in fact, had a really um, really promising-looking playoffs, I would have said, as well. So, uh, all good there. What went wrong? Literally fucking nothing. Annoyingly nothing at all. There was nothing bad. Nothing went wrong. Um, what do they need to do? Uh, team's going to roll into the off-season needing to re-sign both Walcott and Pfeiffer. Uh, doing so will leave the team at about, I think it's $93.8 million for 11 players. 
uh, and I suspect then they're just going to try and round it out uh, with some minimum salaries. If I were them, I would probably actually try and get some veterans on board just to hang around with the kiddies. Um, but honestly, they've all been doing pretty fine to date. Um, Fife's influence there, I think, is probably quite strong. Um, after this season, the team's basically going to be capped out going forward. Um, but they have all their firsts after this year's draft and most of their seconds. Uh, this team is in phenomenal shape. Curious, what would you try to get Pfeiffer for in free agency this year, if you're Seattle? Uh, I don't think anyone can push him at 28. It's just a question of whether you, it's a question of what he asks for, right? Um, I think the issue with Pfeiffer, if you're, there is an, do I think you could probably do I think you could probably get him cheaper than twenty eight? Yes. What I would be more concerned about is the length of the contract. I mean, he's going to be thirty two. I mean, I would like in my mind. I'm wondering if you could do like, let's say he really wants twenty eight. I mean, maybe like two, two and two years, twenty eight million or something like yeah. that. I think Listen, two I, I would, years if if he's going to hold fast for 28, I wouldn't want to go past two years for that. Um, because as I said, I just think it exposes you to a risk. And I think Luke is, Luke has been pretty publicly uh, public in the channel uh, about the fact that he believes the next two seasons, 30 and 31, 30, sorry, 29 and 30 are his two primary window years. Uh, and I think that makes sense. I think you, yeah. you sign him for the max if that's what's required for those two years. They're not going to brush up against a hard cap or anything. There's no immediate problem with that. Uh, I think Butler is – what is this year three for Butler? Is this, is this year what is – Year three for Butler. I think basically they'll fall just under the hard cap the year that when, – when they sign. So for the second year of that two-year window, they'll have to pay Butler. Uh, and at yeah. that point, that would be 110 million plus, um, but and probably closer to 120 than 110. But you know, then Dokes I think expires and Lynch expires. So like the contracts are designed to give him a little bit of wiggle room. Um, I think he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I, I I think he he will ultimately be fine. I mean, 2030 is is the one questionable year. Aaron Rollins' contract is up then. Uh, he's paying 20 million right now. I think he would be a $28 million contract, although I don't really see someone paying him max oh, contract value. Yeah, you know, I, I, so I think that would be the only concern. Um, but, but Butler will be on 20. Walcott will be on 20. So they'll be, they'll be both under contract for 2030. I really do think that that two-year contract would really be the sweet spot if he'd be willing to take that. By the end of that contract, he would be – um, 34 years old at that point, and I think in line for a substantial pay reduction, you'd expect at that point that um, uh, well, well, Walcott will need to be paid 24 million at that point because this 20 million dollar contract will be over. But even then, Pfeiffer, you would think at 34 would be ready to take a step back in the pecking order. Um, I, I, look, the, it's almost like we're looking for something to talk about with this team. They really, yeah. uh, they. I feel very certain, and I call my shot right now, I mean, they will win a championship within the next three seasons. Uh, I'm, I feel very con convinced to say that. What we've seen from Butler, he's a year ahead of schedule. I think Walcott is right on schedule. Pfeiffer is still playing at his peak. 
and Roland doesn't really get talked about, but Roland is pretty good. I mean, that, Ro- that's Roland, a... if, he's, if, if Roland is your fourth in the picking order guy, you're in a comically nice situation. He would be, I mean, arguably, he would be the perfect three on a championship team. And he's a yep. four with a four who's a homegrown player um, who has nine seasons of experience and was on the team that won two previous championships. Like, that's Let's- the other thing, too too is that what the the things that luke did when this team was in its championship window in the past are carrying over now because they have guys like roland and lynch who was a backup point guard behind tarver for their playoff run well lynch has that playoff savvy too so they've got seven guys right now that you could look at and they've they've got championship chops they've got a nice core and they're only going to get better as they build better cohesion yeah, when you talk about like you know how good would Roland be as a third? Let's put it this way: do you, uh, How do you reckon the Huskies would look if they had Roland in place of Vega? Would have been better today. <laughs> oh man, oh, that was I, mean, I wasn't even. I don't watch. I, as, I, as I've said, as I've said many times, and people don't believe me, I do not watch games live. Uh, but just watching the channel, and you could basically keep her running. I checked the stat box score later. I think it was like one for fourteen or something. You could basically have kept a shot, uh, a tally of what his shot count for the night was based on the channel, based on the groans, oh, Vega, oh, Vega. It's like, okay, zero out of one, zero out of two. <laughs> it was great. Uh, uh, probably not for Matt. Yeah. Uh, and that brings us, that little segue brings us to uh, a finals preview, which we are a day late to, uh, and circumstances have actually changed a little bit. But I actually put some prep into preparing this this year. <laughs> <laughs> yes you did well i think we tried to cram it in last year but this we, we've got a little bit more time this episode we don't we're not that pressed for time so uh anyway go ahead so what what are your thoughts on the uh the finals preview and how you see it playing out look so what i went through look i, I think we've we've both been clear on our predictions previously i i backed the fireballs out i have said the fireballs would win the championship since last off season uh, and I've been pretty consistent with that. And you, uh, in our playoff prediction episode, uh, back the Huskies. Um, if you go through, it's pretty clear that in most areas of the game, uh, you you would say that they are quite dissimilar teams in, in terms of the way they play. Um, so offensively, uh, the Huskies are second and the Fireballs are fourth, although I do believe that number is probably at least a spot low because of the 20 games that LaCruz missed. I really think you're talking about, you know, two versus three probably, uh, in, if, the, if, the, if all things were equal. Um, neither team is particularly fast. Um, the, the Fireballs are a much stronger rebounding team. Uh, offensive, uh, in terms of offensive rebounds, and they actually score a lot more transition points. Um, meanwhile, on the flip side of things, Huskies have better points in the paint, mainly led by Q, whereas both Harrison and Fuller are guys who like to stretch out on the floor a little bit, you know, the drive and kick kind of LaCruz effect. Uh, they have stronger bench scoring. Um, but the thing that the Huskies do and what really drives their level of efficiency, offensively, their machine is driven by their free throw rate and their three-point rate. They are a Maury Ball team. They are, they are, that is what they are, and they have the number one effective field goal on the back of that. Whereas the, 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 sorry, whereas the Fireballs generally score a lot more of their points primarily through that transition aspect and points off turnovers. Defensively, 
Sorry? Yeah, I, I mean, I was pretty stunned. I, I never really looked at this. So the fireballs are only 15th in three-point rate. That's yep. pretty interesting. Well, go ahead. Um, and defensively, uh, basically, the Huskies kill them on the boards. <clears throat> that's, you know, that's, Q, that's the effect of having Q. It's the effect of having Cummings and Oconquo, who are both effective rebounders, and also Vega and Houston, who are above average rebounders for the two and the three spot. Um, Harrison and Fuller, neither of them is a supreme rebounder. Again, they're both guys that like to drift around a little bit. Uh, none of them, are, they're, they're not bad defenders, but they're just not great defensive rebounders. Um, as you see by the points generated off turnovers, you know, where the fireballs really excel is they get a lot of steals. They're seventh in the league. The Huskies are last. Blocks is not a big deal. And active, in terms of activeness, the, the fireballs are a more active defense. Uh, running around, getting deflections, getting those loose balls. So it's a pretty close matchup. In net rating, it's first for the Huskies, fourth for the Fireballs. As I said, I probably think there's probably one spot, a one-spot wash for the LaCruz injury. So let's say it's first versus third. I tend to think if I looked at the lead, that's pretty much how I saw it. I kind of thought Huskies, Mustangs, and then Fireballs is pretty going into this playoffs. Um, so look, I think it's really pretty much a pick em. Based on that, um, the other thing I went through and looked at was kind of just a roster breakdown. You know, just looking at the eight-man rotation for each team. Um, at point guard, you've got LaCruz versus Tava. I think that's pretty clearly a win for the uh, Fireballs. Uh, at, Houston, at, at shooting guard, you've got Houston versus Porter. As effective as Porter can be, uh, I'm pretty sure that Houston is uh, going to win that one. Um, small forward is Griffin versus Vega. Um, if it wasn't abundantly clear before, when I wrote this yesterday, uh, it is certainly clear after the first game today, uh, Griffin is much better than Vega. Um, and to be fair to Vega, actually, like I don't think anyone really thought about it. Griffin had a great offensive game, but Griffin would have been defending Vega. So Griffin had pretty much an all-time all -time finals game today, I reckon, between the defensive effort and the offensive side of the ball. Um, Fuller is better than Cummings at power forward, and Q obviously shits all over Harrison from a great height, and Harrison isn't bad. Six man-wise, I actually thought a Conquo is a slightly more efficient player than Bloom is, uh, and I think the advanced stats kind of back that up. Um, but at seventh and eighth man, Dallas Cavangele and Farrier really are considerably more impactful players than Demarcus Jones and Tiga for the Huskies. So that depth piece is actually... Does is something that actually genuinely favors the fireballs. And I guess the thing that's completely changed after today's game is that Tyrese Porter is going to be out for the rest of the finals. Um, and so realistically, you're looking at uh, Kieron Bloom as the shooting guard instead of Porter, and probably slipping into the eighth man spot, you'd have Devin Samuels. Do you think that has a dramatic shift on how you view the series? Uh, yes and no. So... Uh, and to take a kind of holistic view as to how I look at these two teams matching up and what I think were the key things coming into it to kind of explain their viewpoint, to me it really comes down to this. The, the Huskies, arguably at this point, I think they have the best shooting guard in the league right now, with all apologies to Andre Pfeiffer. I do think yep. Houston has kind of taken the conch this year. And I think they have the best center in the league, with all apologies to Kelvin Hawes. I mean, Matt really kind of... What would you say? The reigning MVP. <laughs> well, but, but, but I mean... He's the, MVP, but he's, not, he's the MVP, but he's not the best player at his position. That's a little rough, Mark. 
<laughs> no, well, 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 but look, if if Matt really pushed Q and really wanted to try to drive out of stats, don't you think he would have as good or better year than Halls would have? Not necessarily. Halls was pretty psychotic this season, um, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. But like, no, I think and, really, and again, I'm saying arguably. Don't I'm, get me I'm wrong. It's it's one A one B. Like it's 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 a wash. Realistically, yeah, so, like those two are heads and tails above everybody else. So, so you have those two players at the peak of their powers who complement each other really well that are arguably at what, one or two at the, the best of their position. And then they have role players who kind of fit around them and whether they come through. And, and of course, the focus is on Vega. And then if you go to the fireballs, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's all LaCruz and then complementary players that fit around them. Because even Tyrese Porter is a bit of a one-way player. The key in this... And the, the key, team? Are they a system team, Mike? <laughs> the Kristen LaCruz, right? Well, but, but here's what it really what it comes down to. And this really is the key player of this series. And I really thought this before even we saw what happened in game one. The key player in this series is Derek Griffin. And the key matchup is Derek Griffin versus Antonio Vega. And I think even though the Huskies lost the, or the, the opening game on the road in this, I mean, Antonio Vega was so bad. You have to think that that even though Vega's inconsistent, you have to think that that can't possibly continue. Like that's just it was just a horrible shooting game, and it really kind of set them set them back. And even with him having such a horrible shooting game, they lost by six points. He was a negative one point. He was a negative four on the court. If, if he just performs a little bit better, which you would think at home court he will, um, you know, th- then the Huskies have a really good shot. Conversely, look at what Derek Griffin did the first game. 14 of 25, 6 for 11 from three-point, 34 points, 7 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks, and had a better game score than anyone else on the team, including Chris LaCruz. Can the Fireballs expect to get that from Griffin every game this series? I tend to think not. I think Griffin is a little bit like Vega in that he can be somewhat inconsistent. So I think there's going to be some games where, uh, where especially where, where where he takes a little bit of a back seat, and now with the Porter injury, do they have? If Griffin does have a cold shooty game, do they have that second player to take some of the heat off Chris LaCruz? And that's where Kieran Bloom comes into play, um, I, I, and or if they put Samuels in for some time, I'm I'm not sure. So it really does come down to a little bit more pressure on Griffin and uh, LaCruz to really come through. Can Griffin do it? Maybe. Um, but, I mean, he's he has had somewhat of an inconsistent career. Whereas I feel pretty confident that Houston and Q are going to show up and deliver probably every game. And I have to think that Vega um, Vega's not going to have the kind of performance he had in game one. So that kind of colors how I feel about this series. I do still ultimately tip Toronto. I do think that Porter deal, the Porter injury is a significant injury. But even short of that, I don't think I can let game one kind of color my thoughts about this series. It really comes down to whether Vegas is going to be this bad the whole time and will Griffin be this good. And I don't think that's going to be the case in either direction. All right, Lou, just pick up my microphone. I'm I'm, go, I'm sitting back with my feet up like Cliff Kingsbury. It's uh, I'm I'm going I'm going laid back. Got my loafers on. Um, no, look, I thought I think the thing is though with Griffin having a relatively insane game for Griff by Griffin standards. I think the flip side of that is 
I don't think you'd say Lacruz had a particularly exciting game. Like compared to what he was doing last, what he's done through this finals, this playoff run, and through every other playoff run he's been in, this was a very subdued version of Lacruz. So I think what you'll see is a lot of that usage, a lot of the usage is probably going to see back into Lacruz's hands. Um, which honestly, as far as like players are qualified to have a large usage role, as much as I tend to rag on high usage, um, LaCruz is probably a pretty good player to have in hand. Yeah, you know, I think when I came, when I kind of, when I was looking at this before the final started and thinking about, you know, whether I wanted to jump off my existing prediction or not, I think the ultimate thing for me was if I look at who is, who has the best player in this series, um, I think the best player of, player in this series is Q. Q is the best player, arguably, in the league for me. Uh, and he's the best player in this series. But LaCruz is by far the best closer. And I think that counts for something. Um, you know, if I look at the, you know, the, if I look at the final series that my teams have been a part of, um, I've been to three. Uh, and the two where I had the closer are the two I won. Uh, the one where I had the better overall team that probably didn't have the closer is the one I lost. Um, and I think that counts for something. I think you saw that last year in the, in the final series last year was that, you know, pause was basically would not be denied. And if LaCruz can kind of play at that kind of level, I think that's, I think that's enough for them, even with the Porter injury to potentially get there. Do you know what I was, the other thing that came to my, across my mind though, if you think back to the last couple of final series, do you think this has been the closest to a pick'em? It feels like the last couple there's been a pretty heavy favorite. I think so. I, 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 I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I think we said at the beginning of this year it was a pretty open-ended. Like, there was no Kings team running through. Um, it's probably, in my mind, the closest to a pick going back to 2023 when, we, when Weaver with Hicks and uh, Craig took to the finals. I thought that was pretty much a pick Trying to remember who they played. In the final there round. wasn't. There wasn't Hicks. They played the Jags. Hicks was traded uh, in that roundabout shopping and bet traded bed shopping fashion for Craig. Um, the other thing that's I why they made the finals. That's right. No, but like, <laughs> they, I think. The, the roster. No, but I think I, I think you're probably right. Like I, if I look back, you know, 27, the Kings were big favorites. I think most people favored me against the Lumberjacks in 26. I think most people favored the Kings pretty pretty significantly over the Dragons in 25. Um, you know, there's always been a pretty heavy favorite. Um, yeah. I think even 24, the Huskies, I think a lot of people were on board with the Huskies in that. The, the Huskies was the train that year. Wasn't that the year they won 69 or something? I think, uh, I think so. I, I didn't the Huskies play the Thunder in 2024. That was the one they beat the Thunder versus the one they lost to the Thunder. Yeah, exactly. So, because they lost to the Thunder in 2022. Right. So, but but yeah, so I, I, I think my I think my point then stands. I mean, at least in the post expansion era, I think this is probably the closest to a pick them to twenty twenty three. Yep. I would agree with that. Also they would not be stunned. I mean they, they were I mean, look, the, the fireballs finished with the best record in the Western Conference. The Huskies were short step really behind, um, you know, they really arguably were the best in the Eastern Conference. Not just they won not just because they won, but I think Detroit 
you know, they kept their cohesion together and they got off to a good run at the start of the year. And that really kind of propelled them to 60 wins and kept them on top of the conference. But I think most people had pegged really the Huskies to be the top team in the conference and they were the best overall team by net rating. So, I mean, certainly a pick them in my mind. That's why it's, it really comes down to that micromanage. And, and what you had said about La Cruz, I don't disagree with that. I, I mean, I think if the games are close, that's going to tip the edge to the fireballs. What the Huskies really need to do is Q and Houston, and, and, and Vega has to really step forward. They can't let the games be close late because that's where you worry about La Cruz coming in with a couple dagger threes and either you know stealing a game or pulling it close. But... Um, I mean, in my mind, game two, very important. The Huskies need to take one on the road. And then they set themselves up nicely for home court. So we'll, we'll see. But it's, it's a very it, – it's, it's an exciting series too. It's a lot of good players, a lot of offense. Um, so and really important legacy stuff here because this is arguably Chris's LaCruz best and maybe last chance to win a ring. No, I would agree with that. I think it is his last chance. Um, and he's had a couple now. I think this is definitely his last one. You Also, just an interesting side note, if the Huskies do win this, uh, this finals, uh, that will mean that the Atlantic has won four of the eight championships since expansion. Just next time anyone wants to bitch about how they are in the hardest uh, division, just, just putting that out there. What's the one team that didn't win yet? That, has that te- I think it's his, te- it's his team. Well, there's two teams that haven't won, but like one of them can't even make the playoffs. Mm. Maybe they need to get some all-stars on their roster. But they have all JBL guys. But they have all JBL guys. Yeah, they have one all-JBL guy, but, you know. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so we're going to go on to over-under review. Yep. Okay, I need to get back in front of my computer. Let me get out of my Cliff Kingsbury mode. Did you see um, that after? Did you the draft, really get up and you go sat in a chair with loafers? I wasn't talking to you for that long. Uh, no, I pretty much. I know I had my feet up on the desk. I just moved away. Um, did you actually see that um, one of the journos? So there was a Zoom call for all the um, the Cardinals beat reporters with uh, Kingsbury after the draft, um, and basically um, one of them set her Zoom background um, as the picture of his front backyard. <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> it was pretty good. Apparently, he did not address it during the conference call. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <clears throat> so, next up on the call uh, is our over-under review. For those of you who are listening for the first time or listen, haven't been here for multiple seasons or are from the CJBL and are popping out your heads in, um, Andrew, the uh, Cincinnati Kings GM, has a model uh, that he uses called the King-O-Matic, uh, which basically does a, predi- a win prediction for each team at the start of the season. Uh, Mike and I uh, have a routine where each season we go uh, do an over-under bet against this. Um, and uh, on the line is uh, one of us humiliating ourselves by singing a song. Um, at this point, we actually both owe one. So I think that's been discussed that at some point we will have to sing a duet together. Um, but um, whoever wins this bet, uh, whoever loses this bet will actually owe another individual song also. Um, so um, we'll start off with the Eastern Conference. We're just really going to quickly run through uh, the over-under results. 
um, and uh, which one of us won. Um, after that, we also did some prop bets once for the second year running. We did some prop bets this year, and we'll go through uh, who uh, did better than the other in the prop bets. There's no nothing on the line there, and we'll also quickly review our uh, predictions from that same episode in terms of like who we think will win the MVP, Rookie of the Year, etc. So we'll start off with the Eastern Conference over-unders. Cincinnati Kings, the Kingomatic projected 64, showing a shameless bias towards their its creator. Uh, we uh, both thought that was a little rich. Uh, they went, ended up on 58 wins. We both went the under and we both got the point. Detroit Mustangs, Kingomatic said only 53. We thought that was a little bit harsh and uh, we were ultimately proven correct. Uh, they got to 61 wins. Next up was the Philadelphia Warriors. King of Matic put them down for 56 wins. And I believe at the time, this was one that you and I uh, basically spent a little bit of time talking about because you were not quite as bullish as I was. Uh, in this case, I was proven correct by taking the over. They finished on 57. Oh, you were correct by one win. No, no, Just but like saying. I was, no, no, but you were, you were saying they were going to be the low end or you were saying that at the time they were going to be like more like 52, 53. But there was a difference yeah, between what we talked about versus the nuance of the actual exact line. Yeah, the yeah the nuance was I had them if I remember correctly I think I had them as the five seed in the Eastern Conference. Yes. So because I had the Vipers at a plus fifty five wins, so I probably had the Warriors at like fifty three fifty four. So, but nevertheless, you get the point. Next up, Toronto Huskies, King of Matic, sixty two. As much as we both loved the Kings, uh, the Huskies this year, we thought that was a bit keen. We both took the under, we both got it. King of Matic had 51 for the Miami Cyclones. Uh, we both went the under. We both thought that the Tucker injury, uh, sorry, suspension at the start of the season was going to inhibit them getting to 51. Uh, we were incorrect. Uh, they ended up going 42 and 15 after he came back and they got to 54 wins. Yeah. I think well, uh, I mean, we, our, our premise was correct, but what we maybe undersold was how good they would be when Tucker came back. Absolutely. Like, there's no doubt that was the, that was the difference. Um, okay, next up is the Pittsburgh Vipers. Um, King Maddox said 46. We both thought that was... Uh, you were very bullish on your team, and I just thought the model was being a bit harsh. Uh, we both took the over. You locked it. Uh, and we looked pretty good because they came out on 52 wins. Next up, the Chicago Jailbirds. King of Maddox said 47. We both laughed. Uh, I was bag. I spent some time probably bagging out Cheney uh, about how he was about to go off a cliff because he's an old man. Uh, we just didn't think 47 was sustainable for this team. Uh, and to be honest, they were probably on pace for pretty much that until Cheney got injured and then the team elected to trade Clarkson and kind of blow it up mid-run. Uh, so we got a little bit of a helping hand there. Although, although the Jailbirds were arguably better after they traded Clarkson. <laughs> so they they really went. I mean, they were ten games under five hundred the All Star break, and I and they they finished with thirty nine uh, with how many wins? Thirty nine wins. Yes. Yeah, they finished with thirty nine wins. So they they finished and only. They, they clawed back eight games. They clawed back eight games towards five hundred over the back of twenty odd. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it, it, they had a nice run at the end. And, and and I won't point out for anyone who wants Sean and Freuda. I will point out that the Barons and the Jailbirds had the same exact lottery odds at 2%. And which pick jumped up to first overall? It was the Barons' pick. It wasn't the Jailbirds' pick, which the Vipers owned. So maybe, so, so, 
butterfly effect by trading Clarkson. The jailbirds got better instead of tanking the end of the regular season. And you never know how it would have played out, but very likely would have cost the Vipers the first overall draft pick. Moving on. Okay. Uh, next up is the New York Renegades. King Maddox had them down for a very conservative 41. Uh, we still had them in the playoff picture. But both you and I definitely thought that after the trades made in the offseason, that Rich's team was going to uh, probably take one step back before they made their two steps forwards. Um, it's fair to say we both fucked that one up. Uh, they went and finished on 54 wins, and Rich is the reigning GM of the year. Congratulations, Rich. Um, uh, we salute you. Everyone <laughs> fucked up on that. The King of Mac only had them at 41, which, I mean, you look at that. They went, I think that's the furthest off that they've been on any of the teams uh, this year because they missed by 14, uh, 13 games. Yeah, so. I think that probably is the winner. Um, and, and, and you can never really take the one seriously where the King of Matic is high uh, because a lot of the time that's blow-ups. Um, yeah. Louisville Colonels were next. King of Matic had them down for 39. This is the second one that we uh, argued over. Uh, you locked the under, yeah. and I took the Definitely. over. And at 48 wins, uh, that one was looking good for me. Uh, next up was the Charlotte Drones. Uh, they were projected to, for King of Matic was suggesting the treadmill would continue uh, with 43 wins. We both thought that that might, uh, that they would probably wouldn't get quite that high. Uh, although we thought they would probably get close to 500. Uh, and then uh, DG helped us along by getting impatient and blowing it up. <laughs> You're going to call DG impatient now. That's just mean. <laughs> no, he, <laughs> <laughs> After how many times we ragged on them for being for you ragged on them for being boring? Okay, I, I, okay. I, I take that back. Up. That was that was probably uh, not an appropriate choice of words. I apologize. <laughs> Became disgruntled with his team's performance and took action. Is that better? That's better. Okay, <laughs> better patient. Okay, so uh, next up, Boston Crusaders projected for thirty-seven. We both locked the over. Uh, neither of us uh, thought the Crusaders would make the playoffs. We thought they would fall just short, uh, but we did believe they would both go over five hundred. They finished with an exactly on five hundred record. Um, honestly, that was a little bit closer to what I thought it would be. I think that J train injury definitely cost them uh, a good, you know, four or five. Absolutely. Wins. They were, I, I mean, the, the, way, the way that Louisville trajected, uh, trajected down after the All-Star break and how Boston trajected up, things went a little bit different. I think you could swap those two teams and how they finished. Nashville still would have been an interesting kind of uh, spoiler in that little one-on-one face-off. Uh, did you know that, what, what do you call, Mike, if there's, you know, a, a battle between two people is called a duel. What is a uh, battle between three? A truel? It is. Know. It is actually a truel. Is it really a truel? That was a trivia question uh, last night. So it would have been a, the tr- even though we keep painting painting that as a, a duel between the Crusaders and the Colonels, it is in fact a truel, also including the Stars. Um, and that brings us to the Stars. Uh, they were projected by the King of Magic to only win twenty seven wins, uh, and we both thought that was a bit rough. Uh, and uh, we were correct because they went and won forty four. Next up, yeah, King of Magic. Another one. That, that's another one. The King of Magic really kind of uh, missed up on, but. We didn't, neither of us were as bullish as 44, mind you. But then again, we also didn't anticipate that they were going to get Navigato with uh, a fair whack of the season left. Right. Um, King of Matic uh, had 30 for the Baltimore Bullets. 
Uh, in honour of you not playing possum, I also elected not to play possum uh, and took the over. In fact, I locked it. Um, that was a mistake uh, because the bullets fell one win short uh, and finished on 29. Um, I think mainly uh, in terms of that, I think the absence of Malone for a little bit at the start of the season and then the injuries to Price later probably cost us, made the difference there, even if it was only one or two games. Yep. Next up, New Orleans Hurricanes, 23 wins on the Kingomatic. They only finished with 18. We both took the under. We both had very bad feelings about that team, and we were correct. Yep. And Kingomatic uh, gave the Devils only 20. We thought that the Devils were not going to be good, uh, but we did not think they were going to be that bad either. And we took the over, uh, and they finished narrowly ahead on 21. Um, yep. And now we will continue into the Western Conference. Um, next up, Los Angeles Fireballs. King of Matic had them down for 59. We didn't think anyone was going to get that high in the Western Conference. Um, and we were wrong because the Fireballs got to 62. Uh, next up was the Houston Lightning. The King of Matic had them down for 53, which we thought was a little bit soft. Uh, I locked the over and you took the over. Uh, what we didn't realize that Kyle would get impatient. Is that appropriate? Master of panic. Okay, well, you see, impatience is wrong again. Okay, Kyle panicked and freaked the fuck out and uh, blew shit up multiple times, it felt like, um, and now has a completely different team. Um, so that one's not on us. Uh, next up, the uh, King Maddox had 56 down for the Blizzards. You were quite bullish on the Blizzards. I, however, was a little bit suspicious that that felt a little high. Um, uh, they ultimately finished on 49, so that was me picking up another point. Yeah, that was my. I mean, that that was my biggest miss. I think because the Renegades, I could almost excuse because they were a completely different team, um, so no one really knew how they would play out. But I was really a bit too. I, I actually had the Blizzards as the number one team in the Western Conference. Uh, that proved to be wrong. Yes, it did. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> big bun. Next up, Portland Lumberjacks. Uh, they were down to fifty-one by the Kingmatic. We both thought that was a little bit mean. Uh, even with the rookie point guard, we thought they would do better than that uh, because of the stability of their existing core, and they uh, proved us correct, winning 57. Seattle Thunder were projected for a comically low 47. We both laughed at that and thought it was ridiculous. We both locked the over, and we were both absolutely correct as they passed it by 12 wins, finishing with 59. Like, if, if you could gamble, uh, if you could actually gamble, put money on these over-unders, I mean, that, that one I remember. One. That time. was the one. That was the one we it were like, no, this is a fucking joke. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was easy. In, in, a, in, a shitty, in a shitty West, it was pretty clear they were going to go uh, make big strides. Yep. Uh, next up, uh, Dallas Predators. Uh, the King of Matic had them down for 49. I liked the Predators, uh, but I felt that was just that little bit too high. Uh, and I went the under. Uh, meanwhile, you locked the over. You were reasonably bullish on the Predators. Uh, and I was correct uh, in this one because they only finished with 48. So another one-point win, <laughs> another one-pointer to me. Yeah, between, between that one and the Warriors one, you would have probably beaten me by one. Two, two wins either way. Or even if they were pushes. Because that, yeah. that would have been the 20 to 18. 
Yep. Uh, Next up, the Skyhawks. We both took the over uh, against the Kingomatic projection of 38. The Skyhawks finished with 37. So we both got pipped by a little just a tad. Uh, and to be honest, if they hadn't had that kind of uh, seven-game losing streak immediately after the trade maneuvering at the deadline, I reckon they probably would have got there. Um, the Rockets were down for a pretty mediocre 36. We thought they were pretty much going to do a treadmill, effort, a treadmill effort this year. And uh, we both took the over. This looked really bad for about half the year. <laughs> really bad. Uh, and then um, after they got their final all offense, no defense lineup in place, um, they went on a little bit of a run and that bailed us out and they finished on 40 wins. Oakland Tridents uh, were projected by the Kingomatic as 40. We discussed this with one pretty heavily on the podcast. We, uh, we couldn't really believe why the Kingomatic uh, had given them such love. And I believe it was because they had traded away two active negative players rather than they'd gotten better. So the King of Magic. And, and, and I think it was also, Magic, go ahead, you finish, yeah. I think it was like Stephen Hood and uh, Stephen Hood and some big man. I can't remember who it was. But basically the, the projection was based on the fact that the, the model was basically suggesting it had lost that many negative win shares that it actually had made a significant improvement. Um, and we also know that Andrew's model has unabashed love for Lamar Francis. So Apparently it does. <laughs> uh, it's very consistent with every other public statement Andrew's ever made about Lamar Francis. Uh, but yes, they finished on 24. We both took the under. We both came out looking like roses. Next up was the King of Matic, uh, which was 28 for the Barons. Uh, and I took the over. And basically, I'd, I recall not being able to really defend this at the time. Like, I was kind of like, this feels like a stupid pick. <laughs> and I almost changed it. <sighs> and uh, nope, my faith in the team that uh, I can't handle looking at or doing analysis on at the moment because it hurts my head uh, paid off. Uh, and they got to 32 wins. Uh, and that was another point in my favor. So frustrating. Denver Dragons, uh, projection was pretty soft for them. Uh, only 32 wins. We both were pretty confident they were going to surpass that. They easily did. Um, I was a little bit more bullish than you. I locked it. Uh, but at 43, they'd easily surpassed that. So that's the third one. The Kingdomatic was 10 over, uh, 10 off by in terms of teams surpassing it. Uh, next up, Kansas City Knights projected for a Kingdomatic of 31. We both took the under although we both said it would be close. And it was real close. It was exactly 31 wins, so neither of us get the point. It's spot them. Um, next up, Phoenix Vultures, uh, King of Matic of 20. We both took the over. Uh, we got across the line just. They finished on 21 wins. Um, next up, King of Matic had 25 for the Scorpions. We both thought that was a little bullish. Uh, and... It was indeed. Uh, they only finished on 23. And the Mexico City Jaguars were projected for a comically high 27, despite the fact that we probably both thought they were going to be the worst team in the league this season. Uh, you locked the under. I took the under because I'd already run out of locks. Uh, they finished on 19. So in the end, I won 23 to 18. Yeah, I think, uh, well, and just looking at the King of Matic, so... <laughs> They predicted correctly um, 15 of the uh, 15 of the Kingomatic projections came within five games, and the other 15 they were over five games apart. So I think we both did better than the Kingomatic, or at least projecting against it. I think we did a good job projecting which teams would blow it up and would not. 
I mean, the real difference in our over-under was really the Warriors, the, uh, the Warriors, the Predators, which came down to literally one win. If those were pushes and the Barons were a little bit different, that would have been a win in my, my thing. But, you know, hopes and wishes, uh, I don't know what the phrase is, but nevertheless, you win. Congratulations. You get to pick your song. Everyone gets to hear me sing. I think the only two teams that we really significantly differed on were the were the Colonels and the um and the Blizzards. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll own both of those. I mean, I remember at the time, my concern with the Colonels was that they were starting a rookie small forward, and I thought that would come back to bite them. I will point out that net rating wise, they basically finished out at uh, the same level as the Stars and the Crusaders by the end of the season, and the Jailbirds. Uh, who all finished with a win total that was closer to what was projected for the Colonels. So, you know, take that as it is in the Blizzards, I just was too bullish on. You know, I mean, that the, the, the Blizzards were my Barons, where I kind of, you know, was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll go, I'll go hardcore and I'll go high on them. And like the Barons who rewarded you, Billy disappointed me. So, you owe me, Billy. Okay, next up, the uh, proposition bets, which are a little bit more interesting. Uh, the Toronto Huskies bet was that Quavius Williamson, the big Q, would average 42 combined points, rebounds, and assists. Um, you took the over, thinking that he was going to have a monster year. Uh, I actually took the under, uh, and I think it ended up being about 38. I did do the calculations yesterday, I just didn't write them down. Uh, bit about 28. Um, so that was one point in my favour. St. Louis Skyhawks bet was that Jamal Johnson would combine for 30 points and uh, 30 points and assists combined. Uh, he finished on like 29.2. Uh, so we both went the under and we both got this one right. Uh, next up, Jamal Walcott, the one that was a troll of uh, Andrew, was that um, who had been spending a lot of time slurring Jamal Walcott as a shitty offensive player based on offensive rating. Uh, the projection was, would Jamal Walcott finish in the top 200 in O rating? We both took the over. Uh, he easily made it. He finished about 140th from memory in O rating. I think he jumped from like 105 or 106 to like 118. So a really significant jump this season. Only going to get better, too. Oh, he's only going to get better, for sure. Uh, next up, Portland Lumberjacks. We uh, had Jordan Mack, uh, who I will name correctly today for a change. Jordan Mack will average a combined 16 points and assists per game. We both took the under, and we, nar- and we both got it wrong because he actually ended up going over. Uh, I think he got to about 17, just shy of 17. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, he... He, he probably, I know Winder won Rookie of the Year, but I, I'd love to see how close it was. Should have been Mac. Um, yeah, because Mac had probably, I mean, I, I can't remember a point guard having a better rookie season. I think he had a better season even than Baptiste uh, when he won Rookie of the Year. Oh, um, easily. And then Sparrow won Rookie of the Year last season? I think yep. he was the rookie of the year last season. So uh, I think Mac had a better year than either of those two seasons. I think he had the best rookie year since Gamble or Harrell. Uh, yeah, I thought he had a better season than Winder, uh, holistically, just not as flashy. Um, next up is the Pittsburgh Vipers. Uh, the bet here was that Tristan Lane would average a combined 39 points, rebounds, and assists. You took the over. I took the under. I came out on top. I believe he ended up on 36.9 or 37.2, one of the two. 
Yeah, his assist total dipped after we got uh, after we got Brandon Terry. So, and the points didn't come up because his shooting percentage went below what he did last year. If his shooting percentage stayed the same and the assist stayed the same, he probably would have been right about there. So it was close. Uh, next up was Phoenix Vultures. Tyrone Winder will average 22 points per game. You took the under. I took the over. He finished uh, somewhere in the 21s. Um, next up was the Philadelphia Warriors. Uh, was that KB dollar sign would average 22.5 points per game. We both took the over. We were both incorrect. He averaged uh, somewhere between 20 and 20 and a half. Uh, next up, Oklahoma City Barons. That Dutch would average 20 field goals a game. Uh, you went the under. Uh, you obviously had more faith that his uh, usage would be sensibly curtailed than I did. I did not. Uh, he averaged more than 20 field goals a game again. Um, the Tritons bet was that the Tritons would have 0.5 All-Stars. This was a reference to the fact that uh, Navigato had stolen his way into the game due to... Uh, the uh, lineup decisions with Alonzo Weaver that were made by the Houston Lightning. So it's Kyle's fault that Navigato had an all-star team. Um, and we didn't think that would happen again because we didn't think the Tritons would be good enough. We both took the under. We were both incorrect. Uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, our colleagues chose to vote Navigato into the all-star game. New York Renegades. Uh, Ronshard Fox would average 15 points per game uh, as the backcourt sidekick to Devin Harrell. Uh, you took the under, I took the over. I think he finished on 11.9, although his minutes were heavily curtailed at the back end. He was probably still just under that mark when he was benched. Yep. Lamont Woodson uh, was the bet uh, surrounded, was the center of the bet for the Hurricanes. Um, so what I've done in situations where a player was traded is I have evaluated their performance on the initial team they were on. So for the purposes of Woodson, I have not included his uh, time with the Bullets. Uh, the bet was that Lamont Woodson would average a double-double. Uh, he did break the 10-point-per-game barrier. He finished about 10 and 8.5. Uh, we both said, I took the over, I was incorrect. You took the under, you were correct. Nashville Stars. Bumba Diouf will average a combined 23 points and assists. We both took the under, and we were both wrong. Uh, I think he beat it by a point, less than a point, like about half a point. Nice improvement by him. I think it was like twenty three point two. He finished up on something yeah, like that. Off clap. Yeah, no, he had a he had a nice a nice bounce back here. This was probably his best year as a pro. Uh, Minneapolis Blizzards. Uh, the bet was that the Blizzards would have more than one point five players averaging over twenty four points per game. Uh, this was an argument that the team would uh that Mobley would continue to break out, but that Galloway would have a bit of a rebound season this year, scoring the basketball. Um, we both took the over. Uh, we both had faith in Galloway. We were both incorrect because instead uh, Mobley decided to become a usage monster uh, and uh, Galloway barely breached 20 points in the end. Jeez. Uh, Miami Cyclones. Josh Gamble will average 10 assists per game. You took the over. I took the under. The argument I used at the time was that he had only breached 10 once in his career, which was the year before, and that I felt with Tucker out for that first patch of the season, that first 28 games, that he might have to be a, a bit more of a, a make-your-own-offense kind of player during that absence. Uh, that didn't. Uh, that did basically end up kind of proving to be correct. He finished on 9.5 for the season. Yeah, pretty, pretty close, but, this, you know, not quite 10. 
our next one is probably the the biggest fucking train wreck we had <laughs> out of all of them. Uh, the Mexico City Jaguars bet surrounded Mark Hunter, and the bet was that Mark Hunter would average a combined thirty five point six points and rebounds per game, which was his career high mark. Uh, this the reason why we were we both took the over, uh, and the argument was that. Much in the same way as the Crusaders in their full-on tankier had shamelessly uh, fattened up the piggy that was Khalil Hooker, we felt that the Jaguars would do the same with Mark Hunter. Uh, we were wildly incorrect. Uh, Mark Hunter barely made half of uh, what Man. <laughs> barely made half of what that actual prediction was. So yeah, way off. Um, Louisville Colonels. Louisville Colonels, the bet was that Latrell Mason would average 23 points per game. Uh, and I think we got that number because in the back half of the season, uh, after the All-Star break, um, Izzold was very much publicizing the fact that uh, Mason had averaged like 25 points a game. After the All-Star break, he'd averaged 20 for the season. So he basically split the difference. Uh, you took the over and I took the under. Um, I thought that uh, and the emergence of Cook and the addition of Haywood on the wing and uh, would probably impact that. Uh, I was wrong. Yeah, and I, I thought that actually having no KB for the whole season would feature Mason a little bit more, and that kind of proved out to be right. Yep, no, I think that's I definitely think you had the right read on that one. Um, next up was the Fireballs. Uh, the question was, the Fireballs, will the Fireballs have 1.5 or more All-Stars? You took the over, I took the under. Uh, because I think it was last year I, I had been bullish that they would get that second guy, but, but there was too many guys splitting the vote in my what I felt last year that too many guys had kind of split the vote uh, for them. And this year um, Griffin had a slightly better year and he didn't split the vote. Uh, Harold and uh, Harold and Fuller didn't get quite much as much of a look in and Griffin got the votes. So you were correct. Yep, and that was kind of my read going in is that I thought um... – Griffin would take the second all-star spot. So it has proven to be correct on that. Las Vegas Scorpions, uh, our old haunt. Uh, the bet here was that Isaiah Swain, uh, a rookie, and Jermaine, uh, Jeremy Jackson, the previous uh, first round of uh, first, the first pick from the year before, would combine for 33 points per game. Uh, and that was an under both ways. Um, I thought this was a bit of an insane one. Uh, it was predicated on a comment that Mike had made, not you, other Mike, had made about the fact that he was hoping they were going to put up something like 35 combined points, uh, which was not realistic. I took a couple of points off it uh, looking at previous rookie uh, production from centers and uh, I thought I'd leave it like that. Uh, we were correct. It didn't happen. So, so, so Stephen R. King emerged from his note. He, he didn't want to come on camera because, you know, he doesn't have his, uh, his, his pretty face on yet, but passed me a note that apparently Jeremy Jackson's secretly getting shopped this off this uh, off season. Keep an eye on that. Oh, is that a secret? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's being discussed, no, but I, that's me being a smartass. I, I actually have. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he was. We've talked pretty extensively about the potential fit issues there, um, particularly after the team acquired Gibbs, uh, and given that this team has a lot of work to do on the wing. Um, it wouldn't shock me if I wouldn't be shocked to see Jackson uh, move to either bring in a wing or guard asset versus or a draft pick that would get that kind of asset uh, just to kind of balance out the roster construction. I actually genuinely haven't heard anything, but that would not in any way shock me. Um, Kansas City Knights, 
Uh, Sash Fontana will average a combined 18 points and assists per game. We both took the under, and that was actually quite close in the end. I think it was 17-something he got to. Uh, so he got closer than we kind of expected. I thought we we both kind of were dismissive that he would get that close to it when we did it. Yeah, I mean, um, both goes well. I, I do think Weaver's going to cut into that next year, but we'll see. Well, I think I think what they need from him next year will be very different. Uh, they don't need him to be a primary. They need they, he basically will become a secondary playmaker who just needs to play defense, bring the ball up, and not fuck up. Yep, maybe that's a good role for him too. So. We'll see. Uh, next, next up is the Houston Lightning. Bet here was that Odell Bracey will average 18 points and six assists. He averaged 19.5 points, but he averaged 5.9 assists. <laughs> you took the under. I took the over. You were correct by 0.1. I think these over-unders where you put these on here just as a way to make me feel better about the team over-under. So well done, Andrew. That's very I figured nice. we had. To, I figured we had to review them at some point. I had. I was suspicious that you had one before I started calculating them up. So I thought that might make you feel better. Um, but no, I had to. I, otherwise, we'll never get back to them. Um, so next up is the Detroit Mustangs. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Um, the bet was that Nasai would average thirty points per game. I think we both felt that uh, he wasn't likely to sustain the level of usage he'd had the previous year. Uh, and that if the usage dropped or his insane efficiency dropped last year, I think he had like a ridiculous effective field goal, like 580 last year. So if either of those went down, uh, he was not going to make it to 30 points per game. And uh, that proved to be correct. I think we both expected it to be closer to 30. Um, he definitely took on a much smaller usage role than I expected him to this year. Thank you, pardon Next up is the Denver Dragons. Malik Farmer will average a combined 28 points and rebounds. Uh, you took the under. That was smart. I was way too bullish on my boy Farmer uh, and took the over. Um, he did get... Well, he did... I think a part of that was Jamal Adams, really kind of a full year of him, um, really kind of taking some of that usage away from Farmer. No, see, it wasn't really the usage. It was, it, it was a little bit of usage, but it was also that decline in the three-point shot. Um, he actually did get to the 10 rebounds. I was kind of calculating it on that he'd do 18 and 10. That was kind of my marker. And he did get there on the rebounds. But instead of jumping from 15 points up to 18, he, that's where he didn't make the leap. Yep. Uh, next up, Nicholas Acosta will average 28 combined points, rebounds, and assists. This is the Predators bet. We both took the over. We both were very bullish on him being a potential breakout candidate for this year. Uh, and I believe he finished uh, at about well, – I'm just trying to work it out. I'm trying to do the mental maths in my head. Uh, it ended up being about 20 high, – very high 26 or low 27. Um, the part that didn't kick in, he didn't really get the number of points we thought. He only averaged about 15.6. I think we both expected him to uh, put up more scoring of the ball. And I think that was probably – that was probably impacted uh, by the, the the messing around with trades between um, Sanford and, and Jeffries. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say is that that's probably Jeffries' impact on the roster. I'm not so convinced. He, I, don't, I don't believe he. I don't believe he was over the line ahead of that, but I think he was a little closer before. Yep. Um, next up, Cincinnati Kings. Uh, we thought potentially that this year with a higher minute, uh, higher amount of minutes and a little less uh, fancy uh, back, uh, backups on the bench, that Detrez Owen would average uh, 35 combined points, rebounds, and assists. Uh, we both went over the over on this. 
Uh, that did not happen. Um, he had uh, a stronger season because of the extra minutes in terms of counting steps, but uh, he didn't kind of uh, take on the the kind of alpha role that we thought it might have occurred. Uh, in fact, it was Horse who took on the uh, the alpha role and went psycho this year. Mm, got some Lamar Francis vibes from Detroit Owens. That's a bit rough. Mm, tasty. That's rough, Andrew. You know that's that's just to prove it. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to poke that is, Andrew. That is, I need some... that is that is. You're only saying that so that literally, like two days from now, you can get the like. You can chuckle to yourself when Andrew rolls into the channel, fully riled up and de- 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 demanding to fight you over. Oh, the the graphs and charts are going fight to be me, glorious. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> me. I know. I'm just going to check Slack channel. There will be like eight eight pages of graphs, and uh, don't, don't don't worry. I'm sure he's going to come at me at late or something like that. So, uh, it's 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 coming. I'll, I I'm going to get my payback. So okay, Chicago Jailbirds. Jason Chaney will average 26 points per game. Uh, Andrew once again decided to double down on his uh, Chaney's going to age out at some point uh, argument. Um, and uh, he was once again correct. You knew better. You st- you took the over. I took the under. Uh, Cheney, in fact, decided to um, uh, you know, uh, lead the league in scoring, basically. Yeah, I mean, uh, Austin and I both got what we want. Austin got to whore out Cheney a little bit more, and I got a lottery pick. So it was kind of a win-win for us, both around my over-under. Next up is the Charlotte Drones, uh, was that R-Dub2 and Daniel Pedroso would average a combined 40 points per game. Uh, this one was over 39, but didn't quite get there. We both took the under. We were both correct. Next up, Boston Crusaders. Crusaders will win 44 games. Um, and we both took the under, and we were both correct. I would take um, the over if you combine their win total for the last two seasons. Not touching that. Uh, Baltimore Bullets. Uh, we, the bet was that Marcus Price and Pape Diop would combine for a combined 43 points per game. I believe uh, Price put up 22.7 and 18.9. So I think we were about a point and a half short uh, of the 43. Um, we both took the over. We were both incorrect. Uh, the next one was Austin Rockets, uh, that Zion Jeffries would average 18 points and 10 rebounds. We both took the under. I think we were really that bet was more about illustrating the fact that uh, he doesn't get his fair share of the offense on that team. Uh, so uh, it wasn't when he, he was not averaging that, he was averaging about 16 and 9. Uh, and then he left and, and averaged much closer to 18 and 10 at the, at the Predators. Um, and then following that, the final one was that Drake Valentine would average 20 points per game at the Atlanta Devils. We both took the over. Um, it basically just meant that his, he just needed to get that kind of sophomore year bump to his effective field goal rating, and that probably would have dragged him over the line with the same level of usage. Um, what we didn't anticipate was that um, Drake Valentine was going to have to take a backseat to, um, to Mr. Harmon who definitely kind of broke out as a kind of genuine star on that team. Yeah, I mean, to touch on the Jeffries one quick, he averaged 18.9 and 8.3 when he got traded to the Predators, so definitely a lot closer. And I think, like you had said, I mean, what we didn't foresee with uh, the Devils, which I think is a good thing for them on a long-term perspective, is Harmon really breaking out. Uh, and, uh, and part of that could be, I mean, even though Valentine didn't put up the raw production, I have to think that Valentine, just as an off-ball player, 
fits really nicely with Harmon. So uh, I don't think that's a slant against Valentine whatsoever. He didn't hit those marks. I think overall that's a great development for the Devils for the long term. Oh, look, the, the fact is that Valentine was a, a more efficient – Instead, as I said, we thought that all that would happen was that he'd keep the same ridiculously high usage from the previous year, but that he would get a little bit more efficient. His, his usage was 26.2 as a rookie, so it's not outrageous, but it, it ain't fancy, but it ain't, you know, ain't subtle. Uh, this year it dropped down to 23.8. Uh, he took almost three less shots per game. Uh, but his effective field goal jumped by a fair whack, you know, really close to 500 now. He got he generated more assists per game, played a little less minutes, almost added a full assist, you know, one less turnover, one more assist, and basically averaged the same amount of points. Um, so he definitely took strides forwards. It just wasn't necessarily in the in the really obvious counting stat kind of way that we anticipated. Yep. yep. And that is all of those. Really quick to run out this segment, Bart. The over/under is fifteen to eleven. I think you mentioned that, but I no, I hadn't. I apologize. That wasn't me deliberately trying to rob you of your uh, your clear win. Yes, you smashed me on those. Um, and the final one, we're just going to run over these real quickly. Uh, which player was uh, this? Was uh, uh, giving our public responses to the DG survey questions? Which player would win MVP? I took Q. You took Messiah. Uh, Q basically didn't play enough minutes this year. He kind of chilled the out for most of the season, uh, kept in bubble wrap, and Isaiah took on a, a different kind of role with the team this year, I think it's fair to say. Uh, so neither of us got that right, and also none of us saw Hawes going completely psycho. Um, we both had uh, Rookie of the Year down with Tyrone Winder, uh, which was pretty much a fait accompli the minute the, uh, the name Tyrone Winder started to rise to the top of the college boards, uh, and we were correct. Which player would win Defensive Player of the Year? I thought Mick Swine moving to power forward would get him into the mix. Uh, you correctly projected that it would be Jamal Walker for the second year running. Yep. He won last. He won the previous year as well, didn't he? Yep. I, yeah, I called my shot last year. I called it again this year. I think you could you pretty much pencil it every year from now. Can we just point out how ridiculous it is to win two of those on your fucking rookie deal? Uh, I know. I, 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 think he, I think he's going to be a really, really good player. I think he's going to be a matchup nightmare. I think we need to to start rolling like a narrative component into the defensive player of the year award. Otherwise, we're just going to have to put up with like walk up for the next decade. Yep. Which player will win most improved player? Um, Much like we're kind of projecting our breakouts. I had Acosta. You had Colton Gregory. Uh, Both of them definitely improved. Uh, However, neither of them improved as much as the clear winner of this award, which was Dominic Harmon. Yep. Which player would win six man of the year? Uh, I thought that James Mosley was going to give it a red-hot go on my team, uh, which I thought was going to be a little better than it was. Uh, and you took Lucas Rush, who you thought was going to be uh, six man of the year at the uh, Philadelphia Warriors. Um, actually, he ended up being pretty much more the seventh man on that team, actually. Uh, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, who, led, who, will, who led the JBL in scoring? I predicted J-Train Wood. You predicted Pfeiffer Wood, and it was Cheney. Yep. Uh, who I think had the highest 36 scoring ever, including the crazy era. Um, uh, who will lead the JBL in rebounding this season? Um, it was, oh God, who was it? I checked. Banks. Thank you. It was Drayton Banks. I took Hunter being a fat little piggy. You took Walcott. And who will lead the JBL in assists this season? I took Rifkin because I thought he would, uh, he would hold Bender off for one more season. Uh, he ended up finishing on five assists per game and finished like 50th. Uh, you took Gamble uh, and you were correct. 
Yep, of of qualifiers. So Banks finished first with eleven point six rebounds 26. per game. There was one Walcott guy who beat him. Who had one goal. Yep, Walcott was second at ten point six, and assists. Who was our leading assist person? It was Gamble. Yeah, it was Gamble nine point five. So Lacruz was second, and then Jamal Johnson was third. And they were both on nine, I think, from memory. Yes. Um, so uh, the last segment is a new one. So one of the things we said at the end of the last, ep- uh, one of the things we did uh, talk about last at the end of the last episode was potentially we were going to do some Q and A. I mentioned this in the channel, and like always, you slackers didn't really get much to work with. Uh, however, um, sick did roll into my channel, and kind of along with one or two questions that I didn't want to answer, like who's the worst starter, and you know other all rank, you know the kind of questions like rank all the GMs. I'm like, I'm never going to do that. That wasn't what he asked, but it was like some of the questions were on that kind of level and some were just I didn't have the time to research or dig into. But one idea he came up with that I really, really wanted to like, so I will dedicate this segment to Sick, uh, is the two th- is our new segment, which we will add every year from now on, and we might add some more awards to this ridiculousness as we continue over the seasons, is the uh, 2028 JBL Alternative Awards. Um, we should, so we should call this the, the Colluder Awards, I think. The Colluders. The Colluder Awards. How many Colluders have you won? The Colluders. Um, oh, I like that. This is the this is the, henceforth it'll be known as the Colluders, the okay. Colluders Awards. So the 2028 Colluders Awards. Uh, <laughs> first off, we have Comeback Player of the Year. So, uh, in terms of this, we have five nominees. What I've done is I've come up with five nominees for each award, uh, and then we'll kind of discuss them a little bit as much as we like, and then we'll come up with the winner. So uh, the nominees for Comeback Player of the Year, the first nominee is Trayvon Miller, uh, who basically has been considered openly shit by everybody in the entire league for pretty much the last two seasons. Um, came, into, came over to the Pittsburgh Vipers in a trade uh, just after the mid-season and settled into a kind of offensive fulcrum off the bench role and actually put up probably the best advanced metrics and point, uh, you know, per minute production rates of his entire career. Uh, so uh, apparently daddy is good for uh, Drayvon after all. Second nominee was Colton Gregory, who only played 48 games uh, in 2027 uh, with another fucking knee injury after uh, his contract was bit up in the offseason by some nefarious GM. Uh, Colton Gregory came back and actually had a really solid, uh, really solid improvement on his previous levels of performance. Number three, to Sean Hawkins. Um, it was actually 2026 where he basically missed the entire season with an injury. Um, but in 2027, when he did return from the injury, he actually had lost his starting job. Uh, this season, he kind of battled his way back into the starting role and put up the best advanced metrics of his career and was also on the shortlist for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Alex Baptiste needs no introduction. Man's playing with <laughs> only one kidney. Um, and uh, he's off dialysis and he's back again. And the last one I had was Jamal Adams, who um, amazingly never actually got an all-star bid at, during his time at the Jaguars. And after a couple of seasons of pretty shitty advanced numbers, particularly that win share per 48 number was pretty fucking horrendous from about 24 onwards, uh, had a really nice bounce back year at the Denver Dragons and led them to a playoff spot and got himself his first career all-star appearance. What do you think of those nominees, Mike? Those are some, that's a fantastic class of nominees. You know, um, do we want to announce who the winner is? 
you don't want to add any color commentary about any of those? Well, okay. So just quickly, I think Trayvon found his perfect role as a bench scorer against second-string centers. I think it's a matchup advantage there. So that's how he kind of got a little bit of an advantage there. Gregory and uh, Gregory is someone who was a top lottery pick has kind of been a little bit starstruck in case uh, because of his health. Um, I think Hawkins, uh, like you had said, I think he's found a nice role as a five after missing a whole season with injury. Same thing with Baptiste and Adams. Um, yeah, I think I don't know if Adams necessarily belongs in this category, but I do think that uh, he certainly does qualify. So who does the colluder go to, Andrew? Look, I've got to give it to Alex Baptiste, rookie of the year, missed his sophomore season. It's a heartbreaking story. He looked like he might never be able to come back. Came back, fought Sparrow off for his start, he fought off another rookie of the year for his job back, and actually had a really nice first round in the playoffs uh, as the Colonels pushed the uh, Mustangs to six. Alex Baptiste, come on down. I have your step stool over here so you could reach the microphone at the podium and basically talk about how proud you are to win this award. Crickets, no one cares. <laughs> He's short, though. He's short. That's why he needs a step stool. That's the joke. <laughs> okay. Next up, second award, second clue for the evening is the emptiest stats of the year. We have some nominees. Nominee number one is Tyrone Winder, uh, reigning rookie of the year. Uh, he's a rookie. It's kind of expected if you have a high usage rookie. I was going to say, do you, does, does he want to be nominated for this, knowing who the other nominees are? Read off the other <laughs> nominees. Nominee number two is our perennial favorite, Lamar Francis. Uh, number three is Adam Dutch Vandenberg. He has a plan to not be very efficient. Number four is uh, Rocket Superstar Isaiah Evans. And nominee number five is three-team superstar Darius Barry. <laughs> this would be the worst criminal lineup of all time because they could all possibly have killed the person because they all just shoot way too damn much. Oh, oh poor Winder. Uh, that's a motley <laughs> crew right there. So before we reveal um, uh, the winner for this award, I will just give a little bit of insight. I'll, I'll refine this process for next year because I had to do this one very quickly on the fly. Um, basically, what I did was I took the players in the league and ordered them via reverse VORP. I put in a, a minute hurdle in place uh, and then a usage hurdle in place. Uh, and basically, that was how I generated it. Um, so... You know, there were a few other guys who kind of got the minutes but had pretty low usage roles and aren't really, you know, big statistical producers. So that's how I generated it. Um, technically, the person with the worst warp on this list is actually Tyrone Winder. But I don't think it's really fair because you expect rookies to be shit. Um, the person who will win this award tonight, the winner of the second colluder for the evening, is Darius Barry. Because... Oh, because what a this, shocker. Because this season, he managed to play on three different teams and record a negative VORP on three different teams, which is just a stunning, likely to never be repeated achievement, which should which deserves to be warranted. Uh, deserves Guys, to be I have breaking news: Lamar Francis just left the banquet table and stormed out of the uh, stormed out of the convention center. He is upset. He did not win this award. 
<laughs> Darius Barry stole it from him. Don't worry, Lamar. I'm sure you'll be back next year. <laughs> right. Next up, the third Colluder Award for the evening is the Contract Year of the Year. Uh, and the nominees this season are Spencer Gallino of the Portland Lumberjacks, Mr. Aiden McDice of the Philadelphia Warriors, Mr. Landon Kamara of the New York Renegades, number four, Marshawn Ash of the Minneapolis Blizzards, and the big daddy, Kelvin Hawes of the Cincinnati Kangs. Wow. What a, what, a, what, a, what a very eclectic group right here. Um, you know, they all definitely do deserve it. They all played above their career averages. Uh, obviously, Kelvin Hawes winning the MVP, kind of carrying that Kings team, especially. Uh, I think you could, we could get fair to call the Kings this year the Hawes and the Hawsettes uh, with, uh, you know, Mr. Owens and Mr. Polk basically being Hawsettes, uh, being their supporters. So, you know, I, I mean, my edge would go to, would go to Haas here, but who won the award, Andrew? Who did the colluder go to? I actually gave it to Landon Kamara. And there's, wow. a, pretty simple, and there's a pretty simple Man. reason for this. Okay, look, Haas, obviously, in terms of raw statistical production, for Christ's sake, he's the MVP. He'd have it in the bag. I mean, Dyson Gallinou played better than they had ever had before, but starting off decent bases. Marshawn Ash had really great numbers and production um, in a in a bench role and then obviously escalated that into a starting role after Slay was traded and maintained it. Um, Kamara only played like 10 combined games the previous two seasons. This guy was basically out of the league. I was going to say, Kamara wins because I wasn't sure if he was a real player before this season. Yeah. Or if he was just some made up name. Yeah. Now look, Landon Kamara was legitimately almost out of the league. Um, he'd played, I think, like four and five games the previous two seasons in 26 and 27. And basically, he'd played like eight minutes per game. So it wasn't like he even, he, it wasn't like he even got in it to start a game when someone got rested. It was literally like only in extreme garbage time scenarios did this man see the court. Um, and he looked like he was done. Um, and to be honest, he fell into a role in the rotation uh, this season as the backup shooting guard behind Fox. Um, and as the season went on uh, and Rich decided the team needed a little bit more of a defensive punch, uh, he ended up stepping into the starting lineup uh, at the All-Star break onwards and was basically the um, uncontested starter from that point on and actually played really solidly. And in a league where there is a huge amount of interest at all times, basically, for 3 and D guys, um, Landon Kamara is almost certainly going to get a, a pretty decent offer uh, this year. So in terms of who has inflated their value the most as a percentage, uh, Kamara is almost certainly it. Yep. All right. We're going to move on to the seventh man of the year award. And who are our nominees? Okay, so just for the record, seventh man of the year is a really hard fucking thing to work out when you're looking at stat pages of teams like the Houston Lightning who have had 40 players play games on their team this year. Because realistically, I was trying to calculate it by who played the seventh most minutes. Oh, man. I feel bad for you. <laughs> there were some teams where it was... There were some teams which have patient and, patient and uh, coherent GMs 
and uh, it was very easy. It was counting from one to seven vertically. There were other teams where it was really fucking challenging. Uh, so much that I think I sent a commission, uh, commissioner DM at some point saying, can you please add a fucking current players tab to the stats page? <laughs> um, so um, I apologize if I have incorrectly assessed any teams, uh, seven men, but I'm pretty sure I have it spot on based on minutes per game for these teams. Uh, so the first nominee is Jamel Dokes from the Seattle Thunder. The second nominee is Dallas Cavangele from the Los Angeles Fireballs. The third nominee is Davin Whiting, uh, backup center at the Miami Cyclones. The fourth nominee is Nate Duncan, backup uh, small forward at the Detroit Mustangs. And the fifth nominee is uh, sophomore season uh, Louisville Colonel Taiwan Cook, who plays across both forward spots. Um, this one I pretty much played straight up. I came up with a list of nominees uh, by looking through the various teams. And this is pretty much straight up a, a one use. I used a particular advanced stat metric. And the clear winner uh, was Jamel Dokes, the ever underrated, under the radar Jamel Dokes of the Seattle Thunder, was the best seventh man of the year. Yeah, it's interesting because he might be arguably the least talented of the five players on this uh, on this nomination list. But, I mean, he's used in the best role, arguably. Like, I could argue Cook uh, and Kevin Gelly probably should get more minutes, um, you know, but I think oh. Dokes is perfectly placed as seventh man. I think he has the least raw talent and least ceiling of any of those play people but he plays a role that he suits him perfectly. He plays within himself and as a result is extremely efficient. Uh, and when you're extremely efficient, you have a good impact on your team. Yep. So congratulations, Mr. Dokes. Come on up and get your award. And there's a free coupon for a dinner at the Sizzler here also along with your pretty shaped colluder award, which is shaped like a pair of golden testicles. Next oh, is, is that what going with? That's what we're going with for the statue? Okay, good. Of course. Thank you, making, uh, thank you for making that arbitrary decision. I appreciate it. <laughs> we, we could discuss it. Look, look, I, I've already got... See, now that, now that's sick and you have already this had, idea, we need to blow it up. Next, uh, next year, it's going to be a full pod. We're going to come up with more awards. This is Yeah, I, I know this is going to be a thing now. Okay, so next up, the He's Playing Where? Player of the Year Award. This is for basically the player that when I discovered looking through lineup data that this player was playing at a particular position kind of like generated the most what the fuck kind of level of shock for me personally. Uh, so Mike's got nothing to do with this one. Um, uh, also, like I'll allow for, I will occasionally allow a nominee that might have caused shock in other people. So uh, number one nominee was Kai Navigato playing power forward for the Oakland Tritons. Nominee two was Lamont Woodson playing power forward for the New Orleans Hurricanes. Nominee number three, because at least three people this season uh, came up to me and said, why is Diop playing at shooting guard? Uh, was Papa Diop playing at shooting guard. Uh, nominee number four was Desmarcus Sparrow, who is a literal midget, who was playing at shooting guard for a short period of time for the Colonels. And last but not least is Adam Dutch Vandenberg, who spent a considerable amount of time this season playing at small forward for the Barons. Did, um, um, did Jordan Timberlake at small forward for the Stars and the Tritons make your short list, but just didn't, didn't get the nomination this year? 
Uh, he did make the shortlist. Uh, I didn't want to put a second Triton in the shortlist. Wanted to spread the love around a little bit. There were a few. There was a few teams that had multiple uh, potential nominees, uh, and in those cases, I chose only one. But I thought Navigato, in terms of me personally, uh, the Navigato one surprised me more. Um, Timberlake as a small forward because of his size, length, and defensive ability being used as a, as a kind of defensive stopper at that spot. I, I see the rationale behind that. It doesn't p- shock me per se, if that makes sense. So who did, who did the colluder go to? Kind of the playing pal. Collu- oh, we have to set this up, Andrew. You have to say, uh, and the colluder goes to, and then make it sound like you're opening an envelope, and then an envelope. Okay, so next well, season, for, right. next, just for the record, next season, you are definitely the one leading the way on the fucking hosting of this bullshit. But... And the colluder goes to kind of a of the oh. <laughs> formerly of the Tritons and now of the stars. Um, and honestly, coming down and coming down from the rafters is Kai Navagato, like the flight of the navigator flying down from the rafters down to the podium to accept his award. But go ahead, Andrew. Why did he win over all these other deserving candidates? Uh, honestly, that one shocked the shit out of me the most. I just thought, you've got Navigato and Francis and Grant Hayes. You have this perfectly cohesive three-man wing rotation. That just made perfect sense to me. And I, I had just assumed that that was what was happening. Um, and then I suddenly got to, and I think it was when I did lineup court early in the season, and I did the Tritons, and I, and I literally, my jaw literally dropped because it was fucking Lockhart at center and Navigato and Francis playing the three. It was like literally every, like three, three players in a row were all playing out of position. And, and the one that I thought made the least sense out of those was, was Kai Navigato because that just genuinely, that just generally blew my mind at the time. So that was the one uh, that uh, took the prize. All right, we got two more to finish up our awards show. So why don't we go to the penultimate award? Okay, second last Kaluta award of the evening goes to the Grizzled Vet of the Year. Uh, this goes to a player of thirty-two age, uh, thirty years old, thirty-two years old or more, who plays off the bench. The nominees this season are the now retired Reggie Fortier of the Pittsburgh Vipers. Lucas Rush of the Minneapolis Blizzards, Antoine Hall of the Physio... But, no, Lucas Rush didn't play for the Blizzards. He plays for the Warriors. Uh, Antoine Hall also plays for the Philadelphia Warriors, Kedron Carter for the Chicago Jailbergs, and uh, Tim's life mate, Akeem Martin of the Portland Lumberjacks. Um, this one I played pretty much straight up as well in terms of uh, methodology. Uh, this is pretty much an advanced stat metric uh, basically right, putting all the contenders against each other. And uh, the award, do you want me to do it? Do I have to open another envelope, Mark? You have to open another envelope. We got to stay on brand. Uh, God damn it. Okay. Next time you have the envelopes prepared, Andrew. Come on. Well, obviously, yes. I, I'm sorry that while you were sleeping, I, I ran out of time to do all the preparation. I had to spend time with my wife. Quality time and all. Anyway. Um, Get charisma involved next time. She could put the envelopes together. Actually, she wants to talk to you about um, how to repress, how to record Skype, uh, how to record Zoom calls and shit. So actually, you might end up having a chat to her after this. Um, anyway, uh, Grizzle Vet of the Year. Uh, 
is this year it, the award goes to the colluder goes to the now retired Reggie Fortier. All right, the Vipers finally win an award this off season. So well, he's not, Reggie Fortier is actually already in the Bahamas on vacation, so I think his GM should give an acceptance speech on his behalf. I'm going to send Tristan Lane on a on a plane to to give it to him in person. Uh, Fortier was great for us. I'll be sad not to have him next year. It's going to really hurt off the bench, but uh, he was he played great up up through the end. So sorry I couldn't get him another ring, but he got one with the Dragons. So very nice career for him, and he gets the most important thing, which is uh, the inaug- an inaugural Kaluta Award. Yes, it'll be the highlight of his career. He's <laughs> well, get, you know, we're going to have to ask him. will be up by the championship ring. You know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to demand that Kish, uh, Commissioner adds the um, adds the Kaluta Awards to the awards tab. Absolutely, oh that's gonna happen. Oh, that's definitely right. gonna full court press for that. Okay, and so, the final so award of the and the final award yes. of the year is the Maury Ball Disciple of the Year. Um, I want to thank uh, one particular GM who uh, did all the hard work working this one out for me. Uh, and that GM is uh, the uh, beloved advanced at Doyen, uh, Andrew of the Cincinnati Kings. Thank you for your time with this one. Um, basically, the metric used here, it was which player uh, scores the highest percentage of their points from the free throw line, at the rim, and from three, uh, with the one... Uh, the linear with the one kind of cutoff qualifying mark being that you had to have at least one attempt from the at the rim and one from three per game. Because if we didn't have that in place, I think Charlie Long won. Um, <laughs> so um, the nominees for this year's award are Kieron Bloom, Keon Barber, Spencer Gallano, Kelvin Benjamin. KB, otherwise known as KB Dolls side in case anyone, does, in that case, that doesn't ring a bell with anybody, uh, and Jordan Mack. And the winner, and the colluder goes to Spencer Gallano, just in time for free agency, best three and D player in the league. Come and spend some money. <laughs> He was, he was so disappointed he didn't win the Contract of the Year award, so it's just fitting that we did give him the last golden testicle of the evening. So congratulations, Spencer Gellinow. Come down and get your golden jellicles. Um, so uh, obviously in the spirit of uh, this uh, segment, now that Mike's fallen in love with this idea and demands we're gonna, he's going to demand we do a full podcast of it next year, uh, maybe this can be where the person has to sing their song. I have to sing it on the Kaluta's episode as the opening <laughs> act. Um, we could also, if, if we time it right, when the retired players are announced, we can also do a memoriam segment. <laughs> okay. So as you can tell, guys, we're uh, falling in love with this idea a little bit too much, and we're going to have some shenanigans in future seasons. But um, if you can think of any other awards that you would uh, think would be fun or interesting, I don't want to do anything that is an all-out ragging on a player like you are the abjective worst player in the league. The the emptiest stats is about as close as I'm willing to go to that, uh, Mark. Um, but if you've got ideas for awards, um, please let me know. Um, but the more complicated you get, the first thing I'm going to say to you is, tell me how the fuck you would work that out.
Like, cause some of these are silly and arbitrary and some of these actually require a methodology to figure out. So um, exactly. that's pretty much all I have for this evening or that I have prepared. Um, thank you for bearing with us through the rather boring over under review segment of the podcast. I know that's not exactly the most exciting uh, radio slash podcasting that you can imagine. Uh, hopefully the silliness of this last segment uh, made it worth your, your made it worth your while. Um, yeah. We, we did a so, good job giving content. We're, we're going to be, so we'll be back next week uh, probably after the finals to do a finals recap and do a mock draft. Uh, probably f- about 24, 48 hours before the real draft. And then the draft is a week from this evening uh, in, in the States. So we'll be coming at you twice next week. Yep. Uh, I would say probably looking like Wednesday, Wednesday morning your time. I think it's probably looking realistic. Yep. I think that's probably about the right. I think that's probably about the right balance in terms of like getting in ahead of the finals. Uh, I'm less worried about the finals and more interested in making sure that if we do a draft, um, Oh, see, that's the thing. We can't do it until the finals are done because we need the fucking um, trades to happen. <laughs> yep, I, don't want to exactly. do I don't want to do a mock draft and then watch every single trade pick get traded because it'll it make me upset might, and angry. It might be Thursday morning our time, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe even Friday morning. Maybe we'll just come at it twice. Although, we'll, we'll see how long the final goes. So, all right. So, that's it. Uh, thank you for listening, folks. Uh, Mike, take us on. All right. Well, we'll see you all next week. Uh, Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye.